Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Manchester is Red podcast. After, long inter- after a long international break, we are back and raring to go, ready for a pretty intense seven weeks of club football. United have got 13 games in that period and they start with the biggest of the lot and Derby Day at the Etihad. United in pretty confident mood with Eric Tenag winning Manager of the Month, Marcus Rashford winning Player of the Month and I'm joined by the best dressed journalist of the month, Samuel <laughs> Luckhurst today. Uh, we've both been at, been at Carrington listening to uh, Eric Ten Hag hold his first press conference for over two weeks. Been a strange a strange period. United not playing a league game for, for four weeks. It will be on, on Sunday, but a chance to hear from the manager. And, and what did you make of, uh, of what Ten Hag had to say at Carrington today, Samuel? Yeah, as, as for my dress sense, it was the, the wrong shade of... Um, Grey was certainly the wrong colour in the, in the Manchester rain today. It, I, I was very tempted to park in the players' car park so I wouldn't have as long a walk, but I, I think we all got drenched on the walk from the car park there this uh, this afternoon. Uh, he, he was very good value. Uh, I think I find it sometimes when, or usually most of the time, when there has been a an international break, and in our case, it's felt like a, a double international break with with a couple of dubious postponements after after the Queen's death of. Um, n- not gone down well with United supporters, understandably, that the manager is uh, much better for copy. And there was a hell of a lot to, to go at today uh, where United hadn't had a, a Premier League game for nearly four weeks and a lot of issues to to address. And obviously he did his Sunday section as well, which will come out on, on Saturday evening. But he's very engaging, Ten Hag, he, even to questions where you thought he'd give a short answer. Uh, he gave a long answer and uh, to, the, to the question I asked him about Guardiola suggesting he'd be a worthy successor to him at City. Although that was a short answer, he, what he said was was pretty good on it. But I suppose even though Harry Maguire is, is obviously going to be uh, unavailable for this weekend's game, that was a topic that was always going to get brought up and it, it did um, very early on and no doubt we'll get on to that. But as far as the, the team news is, is concerned, it's it's positive for United that Rashford and Martial could both be in the squad on Sunday. I think Ten Hag, it's clear that he favours a flexible front line and he wouldn't have that if, if Ronaldo was starting in terms of the, the team that he will pick. If, if Rashford is, is deemed match fit, and there were certainly doubts going into uh, today's press conference and going into the game because Rashford hasn't been visible in training at all this week. But if Rashford is match fit, I think Rashford for Ronaldo would probably be the only change from the game in Sheriff, which feels a hell of a long time ago, uh, especially for you, given the journey you have back, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was clear that night that Ten Hag set out his stall in terms of uh, assigning first team statuses to players where you still might have thought, are, are they, are they certain starters? And, and that game confirmed it because there was no excuse other than to play the strongest possible team where United had such a big gap uh, between the European games where they hadn't played for a week prior, uh, prior to that Sheriff game. And then of course there's this, 
they've had two and a half weeks to wait until their next game and it's it's about as difficult as it comes at Manchester City on Sunday. Yeah, I would completely agree with you on that team. I think 10 of the 11 essentially pick themselves at the moment, don't they? And the only question yeah. mark is over those forwards. He, he mentioned Rashford have been training, Auntie Martial been training all week, but it obviously hasn't played since pre-season now, I don't think. And we don't, we don't really... Martial has such an exciting pre-season. It feels like that momentum has stalled, but once all that plays out, it'd be interesting to see sort of who he goes with at centre forward because there's, there's a possibility Ronaldo is perhaps third choice in in that list, which seems incredible to say. But but like I say, I think that's the only decision for for Ten Hag to make in in terms of the eleven that face City at the weekend. You mentioned Maguire before. I was saying to another member, of the uh, Steam Manchester press pack that that Ten Hag is actually very engaging when asked about individual players. You get a lot of managers who don't really like talking about yeah, individuals and and prefer to talk about the team as a whole, but pretty much any individual he's he's really good on. And Maguire, again, he was good on about how how good he's been, how high his level has been in, in pre-season and how much quality he knows he has. Um, I mean, what do you make of that answer? And I guess it, it's been another really difficult week for Maguire, hasn't it? I, I thought first half against Germany on Monday, he actually looked quite good. He looked surprised. He looked decent on the ball. He looked relatively confident. But at the moment, as soon as something goes wrong for him, it just goes spectacularly wrong, doesn't it? It does. I mean, Ten Hag certainly wasn't going to throw him under the bus or kick a man while he was down. He he needs to try and build up his confidence because he is still the Manchester United captain. He's he's not going to go anywhere this season. He, he will be a Manchester United player until the summer at the very earliest. If his situation hasn't changed by then, then I think there's a conversation to be had purely because he'll have two years left in his contract contract at the very minimum. He'll be 30 as well. But then again, a hell of a lot can happen between now and then. I, I suppose the worry for Maguire is that normally when he goes away with England, it, it is a source of escapism um, up until the Germany game. Maybe the only thing he'd ever, the, the only blotch on his copybook with England was when he got sent off against Denmark, I think it was a couple of years ago. And, that was an extremely unmemorable game because it was one of those uh, one of those matches in, in behind closed doors era where I can't remember whether it was lockdown or the tier system, but it was a very pretty depressing time for the country and for the world then. So um, apart from that, he's had he's had a great time with England. He had a very good World Cup. He had a great European Championship, but the fact that he couldn't transmit his form to the international scene is a worry. And he, he did get caught out in the Italy game. He was reprieved by the crossbar when he, he failed to you know, get off his feet and, and meet that cross and was out jumped very, very comfortably. But the fact that M- M- Musiala pretty much humiliated him to win that penalty and then with the second goal, I suppose there is an element of, of misfortune that he gets dispossessed in the opposite third and then Germany worked the ball brilliantly and it's a brilliantly taken goal by Kai Havertz. But He's been out of form for a year. As, as journalists, we can't say the right thing on Maguire because there's always going to be a keyboard warrior or a troll who will be convinced that we're part of his PR team, that we're on the payroll, that we're part of the Maguire propaganda um, entourage, which is absolute nonsense. All of us have praised and criticised uh, Maguire. That's the objective way to be with him. It does not reflect well at all on a large, large portion of the Manchester United online fan base that Maguire was the most abused player on Twitter last season. It doesn't reflect well on that section of the United online fan base that eight United players were in the top 10 of this study 
of the most abused Premier League footballers last season. And they 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 don't care, clearly. You know, they will they will continue to abuse these players. There is mitigation for some of it. I think Ronaldo came second to Maguire, and you can guarantee that will be a lot of Lionel Messi diehards. It's it's a strange place, the internet, where these these things are concerned, who will be trolling him. I don't think many United fans necessarily abuse Ronaldo, but there were a lot of they they this contingent of this faction of United online fans are heavily culpable for the abuse of I hesitate to say their players because a lot of them are fake fans or they're fans of individuals and they're not proper Manchester United supporters. You saw the reception Maguire got after he was booed, like ridiculously booed on England duty back in March when he went back to play for United at Old Trafford. It's the only time that United fans have, have chanted that rather dreadful Maguire song that the England fans have for him because they wanted to support him and they wanted to separate themselves, the match goers, from these faceless cowards online who abuse him um, on, on a on a daily basis, an hourly basis, however regular it is, it is pretty regular. There is it is possible to define, you know, abuse from criticism. And when Maguire has played this season, we've all criticised him because how could you not have criticised him against Brentford? It was a complete disaster for United. He was culpable for that. How could you not criticise him last season because of the performances he had? Uh, I think both you and I have both said that he should have had the captaincy taken away from him for his own benefit. You only have to look at his fellow Yorkshireman, Joe Root, see how that's benefited him in the England cricket setup. Losing the captaincy doesn't necessarily mean you have to lose your first team place, but obviously Maguire uh, retained it. And in fairness to Ten Hag, credit to him, two games in, he made a very decisive call in keeping Martinez in the team, recalling Varane, and it's worked splendidly for United. They've won all of their league games uh, that Maguire hasn't started in this season. And there's no way of sugarcoating it. He is in, he's, he's down in the dumps at the moment. And I think that, you know, we, we do have to be mindful of players' mental health at times. But again, it comes back to that earlier point. There is a clear difference between abusing a player and constructively criticising a player. Us as journalists, we constructively criticise them, whether it's Maguire, whether it's Ronaldo, who we've you know, we, we've criticised as well. As, as as I've told you before, uh, I had a rather robust conversation with a Manchester United player at one point, and I, you know, quite you know, I had to tell him that you know we've not got it in for these players on an individual basis whatsoever. We have literally praised and criticised all of them at one point or another, and if you're doing that, you're doing your job properly. And if someone from one side is saying you're pro this player, and someone from that player side is saying you're anti this player, I think you're doing your job properly. And Maguire, he is an extremely polarising player because there are online fans who um, who are not England fans, uh, who have no interest in the England national team, who, who are absolutely convinced that anyone who is English is part of the Harry Maguire propaganda machine, which is complete nonsense. And, you know, a lot of these fans will be enthralled to Eric Bailly and will believe the claptrap he came out with last last month about... Um, United United favouring English players last season when the facts just do not stack that up whatsoever. It's just 
conspiratorial nonsense for him, from him tapping into uh, a minority online who lap that kind of thing up and think that Eric Bailly has been wronged in his United career. No, he hasn't. He's He's been too injury prone. He's been too haphazard when he has played. And that's one of the reasons why he averaged fewer than 20 appearances per season. And there was a reason why Maguire was starting ahead of him. There's been a reason why United have continued signing centre-backs since they signed Eric Bailly and since they signed Harry Maguire. It's, it's just not been good enough. None of them have really cut the mustard properly. So it's a very nuanced situation. And I suppose it's just as well for everyone really concerned that he's not he's not playing in the derby this this weekend and what what I'd say on that is that at the risk of kicking a man while he's down uh Harry Kane said that Maguire had decided to play on he played on on one leg I think was Harry Kane's description of him um in in the England game on Monday night so Maguire clearly consciously played on injured in that game that has all that tallies with what I've always uh, my my instinct with Maguire which is that he he does favour playing for England over Man United and really a lot of players in that position they'd have thought you know what well, this is a Nations League game it's a, it's a game we've already, already been relegated in it's pretty much a glorified friendly I need to think about my club going forward here with, with a hectic period coming up but you know, he, he he continued playing on for England and that is commendable to some extent, but there'll be a lot of Man United fans who will take a very dim view of that as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel, like you said, criticism is fair enough. It feels like he has become a pantomime villain now um, for certainly yeah. for England fans with, obviously, he's booed again at Wembley on Monday night before kickoff. He was booed in Melbourne on the pre-season tour. Um, you know, he, he's clearly become this sort of pantomime villain for whatever reason, having been a national hero a few a few years ago, basically, yeah. the 2018 World Cup. And I'm sure a lot of that is the fact that he signed for United. Um, but, I mean, it was interesting to hear Gareth Southgate say after the game on Monday that he he will keep faith with, with players he trusts unless it becomes untenable. And you do wonder if it's reaching that stage with Maguire. And Tenag didn't say today how long he was injured for, but those Europa League games, United's four Europa League games are probably his only real chance of starting games regularly before the World Cup. And if he's missing Thursdays, then that's another game gone to to tick off yeah. the list. So it's not an ideal situation for um Tanag did talk about how he was going to approach the Derby today as well. And he's he said quite a few times in various press conferences now that we are Manchester United. We we're going to win every game, which is what he's going to say, I guess. Um and he talked about wanting to impose their his own game on City and, and go and play play United's way. Do you believe United will do that? They're on this great run of form in the league, obviously, with four successive wins. I think you've said that probably none of those performances are 90 minutes Ten Hag would look at and think, that is how I want my team to play. Um, do you think they'll go there and, and be on the front foot against City? Or do you think he will look to to keep it tight and, and, and be a little bit more defensive and, and try and just limit City before looking to maybe almost play in a Soscar-esque way, I guess, and, and play on the break? Well, that's the fascinating aspect about it in that unlike the first derby last year, which was Solskjaer's penultimate game in charge, United aren't going to come up against City and display a clear inferiority complex. Solskjaer did that not, not just last season, but he did it a number of times when he would switch formation. And to be fair to him, it served him well. They they beat City in the, the, the second leg of the league. League Cup semi-finals 1-0 uh, when he went to a back three. They they did get quite lucky that evening and it, ultimately they they lost on aggregate. 
and of course that that game the the last game with uh, supporters present before lockdown hit um they won 2-0 with a back three as well but they were very pragmatic those um those wins and those those games were also decided by by moments i think matic scored in that league cup tie and it was from a, a free kick the ball came to him he connected with it very cleanly good goal United held on for a 1-0 win but couldn't quite master the balance of getting that second goal that was required to take it to extra time the 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 2-0 win it was it was a goalkeeping mistake by Edison for Marshall's goal and it was also a mistake again when he um got his throat with that throw that he got wrong and McTominay put it in you knew going into this game on Sunday before Ten Hag even spoke today that United would not switch to a back three um, he is very confident with that back four at the moment. It's It's been a pretty secure back four up until now. Uh, they've not conceded many goals. I think it's only two goals since Varane was recalled against uh, Liverpool uh, back, in, back in August. McTominay is, you know, there have been games where people have been surprised that he's been starting ahead of Casemiro, but he has gradually improved. And I certainly think that his performance against Arsenal was his, his best performance in maybe a couple of years nearly. I don't really see Casemiro being thrown into that team when he's still not started a Premier League game. And so it, it's beneficial for United going into the game that they've got almost from back to front a clear a clear starting eleven. especially if Rashford is match fit. I think the the team then picks itself. It's probably the same side that that started against Arsenal in, in, in their last Premier League game. And it was interesting what Ten Hag said today, how, you know, looking back at the Arsenal and Liverpool games, he said he was critical in his analysis and he said he has to be critical when he looks back on those games because that's the way to improve. With Solskjaer, certainly, you always got the sense that if they got the win, he'd be like, brilliant, we'll take yeah. that. We'll, we won't dwell on the negatives. It's good vibes only, which is a dreadful phrase that I've, I've, I've never liked whatsoever. But you got the sense that it was, you know, we, we don't listen to any criticism. Criticism is anathema to us when, you can take positives out of negatives and you see that with Ten Hag and he's certainly taken positives out of negatives from Brentford and Brighton. He would look back on the second half of those games and think, well, there was a decent effort to try and uh, salvage the game against uh, Brighton. At Brentford, we didn't concede. We were a lot more solid with Varane on the pitch. So I'm going to start Varane for the next game, but I'm also going to bring Martinez back in. Look, looking back on that game retrospectively, he was as much protecting Martinez as punishing him, I thought, because if Martinez had stayed on for the next half, knowing that United had been thumped and he could get another going over uh, from Ivan Tony or Mbwemo and for, for 45 minutes, um, he was spared that, but he had the confidence in knowing, or Ten Hag showed him the confidence in telling him within days that he was going to be starting against Liverpool. And Martinez has been excellent by and large since then. And he's built up a very, very good partnership with Varane. They need to obviously do it for the long term as well as the short term. But it's a more progressive partnership, I think, than the Maguire and Varane. Uh, in that Martinez is younger than Maguire. And certainly when I watched him live the first time, I think what was as eye-catching as probably more eye-catching than he's uncompromising defending was his use of distribu was his distribution. Yeah and breaking the lines and United have benefited from that in, in a number of games since then. And it's, it's a progressive partnership. It, it might 
come on well not might it will come under the cosh this weekend against the best team in the country and certainly the best goal scorer in world football as well i think it's fair to say with harland but i, I certainly think from united fans' perspective they're probably looking at this derby going into it thinking it's not a case of battening down the hatches it's not a case of getting out there with a you know, relatively respectable defeat it's all about it's it's actually about trying to win the game and certainly Solskjaer even said after that Old Trafford game last year, he didn't like the way he'd set up. And he was well into the end game by that point. But that in itself was an admission of defeat as much as the defeat itself. And he only didn't get sacked because the scoreline was kept down and, and City showed mercy on them. But it, it was at, at that point, he should have he should have been sacked before then. And when you have a game where you've had as many, sorry, you've had more attempts at your own goal on target than on the opponent's goal, which was the case that day. And you've got Pep Guardiola being asked, you know, are you disappointed you didn't beat Man United more than, than 2 0? And he said, no, it's okay, which was translation as Ole in pretty much at the time. <laughs> then there, there, there really was no turning back. And there wasn't that day. And that there was a defeatist mood around United at that time. And of course, that's not the case at the moment. And I don't really ever see Ten Hag getting to that point either. You mentioned Martinez before. I think after that Brentford game, I think we all had concerns about his height, but there were certainly ponding him off. And I think a lot of people had this derby circled as the day that Haaland would essentially eat him alive and 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 spit him out back over the channel out of the Premier League. Um, I, I don't think those fears are there anymore, are there? It, Tanag was asked about it today, and obviously Martinez defended well against Haaland for Ajax last year when they won four 0 Pep Guardiola has been been very effusive with of, of Martinez today and said in his press conference that he loves it when players are written off because of their height, basically, and and talked about Martinez's aggression, like you mentioned, which we've seen. It, it feels like a very different game than it than it did six weeks ago after that Brentford game and you touched on Martinez there but but his improvement and the way he's adapted to the Premier League feels like a a good metaphor I guess for the improvement United have shown as a whole over that six weeks doesn't it it does he he, he did have I mean the, the, in some ways his performance against Brighton was maybe as as chastening as as the Brentford game although the scoreline didn't reflect that he was extremely fortunate not to concede a penalty in the second half for a barge on, on Danny Welbeck. It was one of those decisions or non-decisions that if the referee had given that a penalty, there's no way VAR would have overturned. But he, he got off lightly with, with that game. He didn't at Brentford. But again, Ten Hag showed that trust in him to start him against Liverpool. And in the first minute, I think it was that he you know, stood up to Salah quite literally. And it's not a surprise that Guardiola has actually talked him up in that he had a very uh, you know, short centre-half in, in Mascherano in his his, his his great Barcelona side. And, and Mascherano was not a centre-half by trade, but he certainly excelled there. I think he's played there primarily for Argentina um, in, at certain times. Well, not primarily. I'm trying to think back to the 2014 World Cup, whether he did play at centre-back, but he, he, he clearly could play it very well. And it's maybe not a coincidence that that Martinez is is also Argentinian, and obviously at the World Cup, everybody except, expects him to start there. there. There will be games where he will get caught out th through the height. It's just it's, it's impossible for him not to. I think against Sociedad, there was an opportunity at one nil where he was out jumped, and Sociedad probably should have gone two nil up, but 
certainly as far as this weekend is concerned, it would be daft United to have Martinez looking at Haaland for, for crosses. And Haaland has converted a fair few crosses already this season. But if you've got Varane starting, which United should have un, unless he succumbs to injury, then it, it's just logical to have Varane on him in, in those situations. So uh, Ten Hag, you know, bought him for a reason. Uh, it's, it was a hell of an expense signing Martinez as well. And you know, th- there are certain reservations that people will have and we've expressed them as well. And long term, maybe it won't work out, but you can't argue with how he's responded to the Brentford game. And I, I know some people might look at us talking about the Brentford game saying, why are you still going on about it? But it, it was it was a dreadful dreadful day for united in their recent history it was it was difficult to see them coming back from that but they did and that's why we go on about it because the response to that defeat has been so impressive on a collective level and an individual level there have been so many outstanding performances uh since then and martinez has been one of the best so um you know guardiola sometimes has this penchant of talking up opponents or an opposition almost to lull them into a full sense of security. I think he uttered some absolute claptrap in August about how Bournemouth are really good at doing certain things. And then, of course, City uh, obliterate them 4-0 and everybody expected them to to thrash Bournemouth. And so sometimes he has this tendency to really talk, you know, gush about um, those he's come up against who he finds it really easy uh, to play against. I think he, he... was it was it Napoli he always said were really good even though City had next to no trouble beating them so he he has form for this but I don't think he's come up against Martinez specifically yet and um, I suppose it's an interesting um, topic to to bring up when he has history of using Mascherano there yeah uh, and I guess one other thing to mention from from the press conference we we know our listeners will We'll always be keen on, on transfers and, and what's happening in, in transfer terms. Um, obviously, United held their investors call last Thursday and, and latest financial results coming out. And John Murta kind of, well, more than downplaying the prospect of, of transfers in January, basically stating that the £225 million spend in the summer will will not be repeated in, in any future window at the moment. Um, I guess none of that was a surprise. Ten Hag was asked about it in his press conference. He kind of mentioned in an ME2 interview around the Sheriff game that he would he would be speaking to the club about transfer windows and mentioned January specifically. But I think it, it was always expected that January was going to be a pretty quiet, uneventful window for United. And it seems this is, is pretty much confirmed, isn't it? Something major would have to happen for them to do major business in January. The, the two areas of the team, the squad next summer, that they need to consider are pretty much at the top and the bottom of the spine. They're going to need a goal scorer because this is almost certainly going to be Ronaldo's uh, last season at the club. And however, whether he's pivotal or peripheral in the team, he's going to need sing. And they are they still arguably do look a bit short up front as well um, in terms of having a proven presence, a proven goal scorer. That There's not anyone really comparable to Haaland. So you know, they're going to have to scout very well. And of course, with the goalkeeping situation, they are keeping their options open there. It, it is not beyond the realms of possibility that they release De Gea in the summer because they have to consider whether it is worth them triggering that one-year extension, keeping him on the payroll when he is the second highest earner in the squad, I think, certainly certainly in the top three. 
and whether he's going to be the first choice next season. Do you really want someone on 375 grand a week being a bench warmer in the final year of his contract? It's not a good look. It would be extremely bold of United to release him. But when you're talking about a long-term goal scorer and a long-term goalkeeper, it's very rare a club of United stature make those additions in January. The summer is the ideal time to do it. And it would be especially um, surprising for United of United to do that when they have just had a record-breaking summer in the transfer window. And they needed to because of the squad rebuild, which is still ongoing. And there are other there are other positions to to strengthen next year. They will need a right back. Um, whatever happens with Aaron Wambisaka, whether he recovers, whether he uh, just fades into anonymity, they are going to need a right back. You would imagine next year or a, a defender, um, given that they would probably hope to sell Alex Tellers permanently. And the midfield situation is is still pretty interesting in that they didn't get Frankie De Jong, but you sense that. Ten Hag would probably want a younger creative midfielder, certainly to alleviate the burden on Christian Eriksen because his durability is going to be tested this season. So I I think, you know, when Ten Hag mentioned that and his, it was in response to a very innocuous question as well on MUTV in, in Moldova and, and he was very in-depth and, and detailed about what he was going to be doing over the next two weeks and the fact that he did specifically, you know, talk about the January transfer window. I think everybody was taken back by that slightly. But what Murta said last week, it, it was it was logical. I know it's not what Manchester United fans by and large want to hear, but they can't just you know fritter money every transfer window. Um they've they've got to have a strategy. And I think they did need a, a minimum of six signings in the summer. They got them so that's probably why he says that their rebuild is is ahead of schedule, but they needed those signings. And I, I wouldn't say they they were ahead of schedule or, or they are ahead of schedule. They're, they're on schedule. They need to continue to strengthen the areas that need strengthening and not leave any of them unattended. I, I certainly don't think January is a wise time to do it unless there is an opportunity that is too good to turn down. It'll be interesting to see how the market shifts as well, where, the World Cup is being held in November and December because, if anything, that's going to be more off-putting to clubs in terms of signing uh, players. And it might be another one of those transfer windows where it's the clubs who are desperate to stay up and know that they need need reinforcements to stay up who do, do, do the most business, whereas the elite aren't quite as active as, as they were um, last January, when maybe it was a little, little bit of a surprise that Tottenham, City, and Liverpool all, all did make quite, quite high-profile additions. Yeah. Okay, I think that covers pretty much everything from from today and emotionally international break. Thank you for your time, Samuel. No, thank you, Ty. Appreciate it. And remember to leave us a like and subscribe if you can. And the Manchester Evening News will have you covered for every possible angle on Derby Day at the Etihad on Sunday. And the Manchester is Red podcast will be back on Monday to review everything that happens on Sunday, whatever may happen. So make sure you tune in on Monday for your review from the Derby. That's all for now.